Merry Christmas. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Uh, we've got a, a more music plan and worship. Uh, I'm going to want to spend a few minutes talking about the Christmas story uh, from a different place in the Gospels in Matthew. So I invite you to turn with me to Matthew 118. I appreciate uh, we'll be looking at Luke a couple times just for reference as we go through this morning. I appreciate uh, Micah bringing that out and us being able to read that together. This is a particular context written for a particular purpose in Matthew, and that's what we're going to try to uh, stretch our minds uh, because most of us are not Jewish here today. There may be somebody here that is, uh, and, uh, but even, the, even that, to try to understand what was going on here and how it impacted the people that it was happening to. And so let's, st- I, know you just, I know you just got through standing up for 20 minutes, but uh, stand up again because this is God's word. Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, this is the story that you designed, that you put into play in time and space. And because of this great salvation that has come through your Son, we are now part of this story. And so, Lord, allow us to climb into the Joseph's shoes today and understand what he went through, the cost of what following Christ looked like in his life, And may we be resolved to respond today as he responds. Give us time now in the course of our busy life to settle ourselves around this beautiful gospel story, this Christmas story today, and enjoy it and be forever changed by it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we break from Romans. If you've been here attending with this regular, we've been working through Romans and we found ourselves in the third chapter of Romans when Christmas hit and just in time uh, we get this good news of a great joy. But let's just not jump into a book of the Bible. Uh, It's like reading a little piece of a letter and you don't even know who it was written to and don't know the context. You don't have the right to do that. Neither do I. So let's understand for a minute uh, 
We, we as a church believe in the dual authorship of Scripture. It is divinely inspired, but it was also written by a person. This is written by Matthew. He was a, a Jewish man. And so we have to understand what was his purpose in writing this. You see if you've got our notes. If not, they're on the blue table. You're not going to bother me to get up and get some. Uh, you'll notice if you attend here regularly, you need your notes and you need a Bible. And so I invite you, if you don't have one, pull one up on your, on your phone. You're not going to bother me at all. But so we see in Matthew's purpose is what he seeks to do first is to demonstrate Jesus' messianic identity. He's putting his finger on who this Jewish Messiah, this promised Messiah was. No more just who he promised to be but who he was in time and space. He seeks to demonstrate too for Jew, predominantly Jewish people that the inheritance of David's kingship over Israel has come. He come with the person of Jesus. He seeks not only that, he seeks to demonstrate that the promised fulfillment made to Abraham has come to be a blessing to the nations and we who are here are the nations that have been gathered just as he said would happen. He seeks to evangelize the Jewish people by bringing them to their promised Messiah. Not only that, but church, he seeks to identify us today as God's true people gathered from every ethnic group and diverse regions of the world together under a unified faith in Jesus Christ our Messiah. He seeks to leave the church with a clear mission to go make followers of Christ. That's what's going on in the book. Before we fly in, okay, where does this story get started? Interesting enough, in this particular perspective of the gospel, and the gospels are written for different perspectives, and I hope you'll see that today. For Joseph's lineage is important. You're like, well, he wasn't his biological father. It doesn't matter. It was important for the Jewish people. He was his adoptive father. So he traces that. Then he gives the, the narrative from Joseph's perspective. This is a very Jewish thing to do. And so that's what I want us to do today. As hard as it's going to be for us to maybe think about Joseph's perspective, that's my challenge for you, is try to put yourself in his shoes as not simply a man, not simply as a man who is betrothed to a to a woman, but as a Jewish man who is betrothed to a woman, whom he is legally bound but not yet married. Verse 18 says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. So here's the narrative. It's beginning, and what we see first, if you've got your outline, Mary was betrothed and pregnant. Uh, big problem. <laughs> you see it in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way when this mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. It's all important. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. You could say what a betrothal is, is to be extremely engaged. It is to be legally bound. They were bound. And to order for this to be broken, a divorce would have to happen. There, there is no such thing in the Bible as this uncommitted experimental dating. Every relationship was important. 
There was a commitment that was involved. But here's the problem. Mary was pregnant. And in just old if we just understood a little bit of the Jewish culture to understand what this meant. But here's what it says, by the Holy Spirit. And here's where Luke can even offer us a little bit more information here. Just listen to it. It says, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit, and I was speaking to Mary. This is Mary's perspective. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is what as Christians we call the doctrine of incarnation and I'm not going to dive into that this morning, but here's what I want you to understand. If, you, if you're looking at the Christian faith or you claim to be a Christian, this is the supernatural nature of the Christian faith. This is, this is what it is from the word go. It is a supernatural reality. The, the, our hope and the, the veracity of what we believe hinges on this moment. If this is not true, nothing else is true. Nothing else matters. I love myself some J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God. Actually, this is a Christmas book by Timothy Keller. I'm going to quote from this. You, you know when you're reading a book and he keeps quoting somebody else, you need to go read that somebody else. J.I. Packer says this, God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wiggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing is in, in fiction is so fantastic as this, is this the truth of the incarnation. He goes on to say, now listen to what he says. It is from misbelief or at least inadequate belief about the incarnation that difficulties at other point in the gospel story usually springs. In other words, if you've got a problem with something else in Scripture, it's probably because you don't understand the incarnation well. No wonder, though. <laughs> I mean, here's Joseph. Now, remember, we're thinking like Joseph today. I mean, life's set. You got your betrothed. She's locked in pregnant she's found to be pregnant no wonder he was filled with fear and confusion and, and probably we can add some other words in there too couldn't we she's what can you imagine poor mary having to have this conversation with joseph and jo i mean how did that go right but see, she was found to be with child. Most people think that's probably because she was in the second trimester and you couldn't hide it anymore. She had that baby bump that you couldn't hide. And we in Kings Mountain know what it looks like to live in a small town. There's some things you just can't hide. And so Joseph responded the way anybody would respond. <laughs> I don't think so. I hadn't been with her. I haven't broken my vows to God. But you see, we see both Joseph's conviction and character, his justice and his mercy all bound up into this. 
Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You see, in Deuteronomy, that's what the law gave him the permission to do. He had found her in Deuteronomy 24.1 in some indecency in her. That's the language of the text. But in Deuteronomy 22 and verse 20, adultery, you could be stoned for it in this culture. In other words, it's serious. What was going on here was serious. It was serious to Joseph, and listen, it was serious for the culture that they were born in. And if you're going to understand anything in the Bible, we have to quit criticizing something and first understand the culture of which it was written into. This was a big deal. But what Joseph was not going to do, as you see according to the text, was publicly shame her and bring her into the middle of the city and stone her. Uh, No. He was simply going to quietly divorce her and send her back home. But God. We've all had those but God moments. You know that's my favorite two words in the Bible. It should be yours too, really. Verse 20. But as he considered these things. Just got through reading the narrative. That word behold. You see that in this text? As he considered his things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Go back to our other Luke narrative, talking to different people, same language, behold, (laughs) don't fear. He tells him what to do, take Mary as your wife, for that which conceived is her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, this is not what you're thinking. He was considering these things, wouldn't you be? <laughs> just imagine, that's you, Joseph, and you've just found this out one way or the other. <laughs> Either by a baby bump or by a really hard conversation or both. This is happening. How will I ever move on from this? You ever felt that way? Behold, that word means Look. Sometimes in the King James it says, lo. <laughs> it's another way of saying, you're not going to believe what happened next. An angel came. The angel brings both comfort and command. The angel has a name in Luke one twenty six. it was Gabriel. But the messenger is never the point, always the message. It's true for you. It's true for the angels. Joseph, don't be afraid. I mean, there was now all kind of reasons for him to be afraid. If not for the angel, just for the situation. I mean, can we understand, even in our context, the cost, the culture, the future? There was a lot to be afraid of. Joseph knew one thing for sure. No matter what he did, life was never going to be the same. Everything that he had planned, everything that he had planned in his mind and with his, with his money and with his career, everything was about to change. And nobody asked him. He says, don't fear, but take. 
Mary's going to have a son, Joseph. This is going to happen. Comfort comes in strange ways. But I wonder at this point, was he comforted? Had he got there yet? Verse 21 changes everything. It says, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save. Listen to what it says. He could have said anything. He will save his people from what? Their sins. Their sins. Not exactly what a Jewish man would be expecting to hear anyway. Even if he could get past the fact this is his betrothed, this pregnant from the Holy Spirit, whoever heard of such a thing as that. And now he's in there going, you're going to name your son Jesus and he's going to save his people. If you read your Old Testament, you see the word Joshua mean the same thing. It means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. There, but there'll be none of this Joseph and Mary sitting around, what are we going to name our son? He already has a name. You ponder that. Luke 1 verse 30 says this, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Wow. <laughs> I mean, how, do you, how do you process that even from Mary's perspective? And now here Joseph is trying to understand this. But what Joseph had to understand to start with is what is happening in your life is bigger than you. True for you too. Here's what also is true. The biggest problem that we all have is our sin. Didn't come to get rid of the Romans. That's what they wanted. That's what they were expecting. That's what their parents had taught them. That was the religion. That was the tradition. But like we've been talking about in Romans, the greatest thing, and Paul has belabored this, hadn't he? For three chapters, he's been saying, you've got a need, you've got a need. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you've got a need. And the first thing from the word go, Joseph hears, is Jesus has come to earth to deal with your sin. Because that's our greatest problem. Acts 4.10 says, let it be known to you, to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man that is standing before you well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. John 3.17 said Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Joseph receives both comfort and command. This is, you're going to do this, Joseph. This is going to happen. So here's the question. How do we know Joseph believed? All of this, I mean, can you imagine having to process this? How long did it take you to process it? 
How do we know that he processed it well? How do we know that he believed? He married her. That's how we know. He married her. In other words, he embraced the shame. From this little book here. It says, but if Joseph marries her, Everybody in that shame and honor society will know that this child was, was not born nine or ten months after they got married. They will know she was already pregnant. That would mean either Joseph and Mary had sex before marriage and she was unfaithful to him. And as a result, they are going to be shamed, socially excluded and rejected. They are going to be second class citizens forever. So the message is... If Jesus Christ comes into your life, you are going to kiss your stellar reputation goodbye. How do we know he believed? He embraced it. He married her. Come what may. He paid the cost. He knew her not. You see it? It's 25. He didn't know her. means he didn't have sex with her. No honeymoon like normal. Hebrews 12.2 says that we need to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame in His seat at the right hand of the Father. Jesus endured the shame. So must we. Jesus went to the cross. So must we. Luke 9.23, and he said, he said to everybody, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever would lose his life for my sake will save it. How do we know Joseph believed? He named him Jesus. He named him Jesus. Joseph embraced that obedience comes through an authentic faith. He believed, so he obeyed. Romans 1.5, Paul said, remember, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including all who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Some of us have been called. The Holy Spirit's working on you maybe even now. Are you willing to take up your cross and follow Him? Has He put a calling on your life? He put a call on Joseph's life. Joseph believed. Will we? John 20 verse 30 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. That these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. How might we have life in His name? Mark 1.15 says, Repent and put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe what? Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him, listen, will not be put to shame. In this religious culture that we live in, in the biblical south, 
of easy believism, the Christmas story has just a couple of unmistakable truths, and I owe these thoughts to Timothy Keller in his book, Hidden Christmas. We must embrace by faith the cost of embracing Christ. We must by faith agree with the Bible's declaration that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that that Savior is Jesus Christ the Lord. And listen, this this last one may be the hardest one. We must by faith release the dream of self-determination. That you have some way, the right, to determine your own destiny. And that you know more than the God who created you about the purpose of your life. Joseph gave up more than we probably know. But let me ask you something. If we could went back years later, and we could ask Joseph... Amen. If you could have given her that bill of divorcement and sent her back to the house, would you have done it now? Knowing all that it's cost you, all that you've had to put up with in this community to your death. When I ask you, what would he have said? Would he have not said that Jesus was worth it all? He's worthy of it all. And Joseph would have did it again. So what today? Understand this. Joseph's son was God's son. He could have done it a different way. God could, but he didn't. Joseph's adoption of Jesus shows that Jesus was truly and fully human. But Jesus was God's son from all eternity. He already had a name. He did not have a beginning. He had an incarnation. Because Jesus was truly and fully divine. But don't miss the point. I skipped this verse on purpose. Joseph's son is God with us. Verse 22 says, All of this took place. To fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. This is the ultimate purpose. Not redemption, not atonement, not propitiation. All of that was to deal with the sin problem in order to bring you to God so that you might be adopted into a family This was a family plan from the foundation of the world. And it happened the way God intended it to happen. God with us changed everything for Joseph's life. And his life was better because of it. And so is yours. Amen? You can know God personally without terror or guilt or shame and joy, confidence, and peace. And so, what we want to do today is what we've already done, is to worship this one. Here's what I'm going to call you to do after I pray. We're going to have, we're going to have some music playing, and we're going to respond in multiple ways through our voice, through our sound. But the tables are set.
And here's what I invite you to do as you sing and as you worship. I also ask you to examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. Don't come to the tables if you're not of the faith. But if you are of the faith, if you have been born again, if you have embraced by faith, if you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead and you have taken your life and handed it over to Him and said, I'm going to follow you no matter what it costs. If that's your reality, come to the tables and celebrate as the body of Christ what, what the high cost it was for so great a salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that we get to worship you on Christmas Eve this year. What a blessing. We thank you that you have sustained those of us in this room another year. We come to you. For many of us have lost people that we greatly love this past year and so there's a bitter sweetness on this day and we thank you that you are our Lord and our God and we can be honest with you about that so Lord comfort those who need to be comforted with the reality that not only they are loved but those who have went on home are loved as well Lord now we come to worship you with our mouths, with our offerings. We come to the tables remembering the author and finisher of our faith and for the joy that was right before him. He left everything and he endured the cross so that we might be called children of God. So Lord, we remember now our, our Lord, our Savior, our King, Jesus, and His amazing work that He did in His incarnation.